idea that all this really came from a dream? Yes, it did. Good evening and welcome to Knox Mente. Tonight's guest is Suzanne Ross. Suzanne is a compassionate coach and caring mentor who is passionate about healing emotional trauma and clearing mental blockages, balancing your physical energy by realigning your energy centers and restoring emotional, mental, and physical health and vitality. She's a certified health and wellness expert specializing in stress-reducing meditation, dynamic movement therapy for healing the mind-body connection, nutritional coaching and supplementation, and personal counseling for anxiety, emotional, and physical pain and addiction recovery. Suzanne, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Jerry. Thank you, Nish. I'm very excited about being here. (laughs) I told you before we started, I had some questions for you, and I'm going to weave them into our general conversation, but I just want to tell you, I'm excited after having checked out your early bio. I think it was a, a PowerPoint you were giving somewhere for something and it it went into your bio so that got me extra excited to have you here and chat with you this evening great i am transparent so ask away (laughs) don't tell that to jerry (laughs) right now that we're on the air especially we'll we'll leave that (laughs) private boy they um all right so let's just let's jump into it give us Take us back to your earliest memories and uh, kind of give us a picture of what pops out with your earliest memories. I like to start actually before I was born (laughs) because it really has had a significant impact on my life growing up. And that was an abduction experience that my father had when. He was just 18 years old in Saskatchewan, where he was born and raised in a small town called Leader. And during this incident, him and some buddies were driving down a dirt road and uh, they saw this white light behind the car, in front of the car, out in the field. So they pulled over to check it out. And next thing they knew, they were all sitting in their car thinking, What are we doing here? Let's get out of here. And when they started to pull away, they saw this white light merge with a larger orange light out in the field and shoot off into space. So they went to the nearest farmhouse and knocked on the door. Hey, you guys seeing these lights? The woman was furious. They were knocking on her door after midnight and they were stunned that it was after midnight because they had left their house just after seven and they only lived a few miles away. And that's when they all realized that they had experienced missing time. (laughs) And uh, my father the next day realized that he had a triangular shaped metallic object in his wrist. And growing up, he called this his alien chip. (laughs) And so reflecting up on that experience and always wondered what happened there. As I got to be older and became familiar with ufology and this idea of implants that facilitated continued communication with otherworldly beings, I started to realize that shortly after my father had this implant put in after this missing time experience, he was recruited by NCR. 
And he actually became a pioneer on the front lines of the emerging computer age with just, you know, a one room schoolhouse education. Shortly after that, he was moved to Mount Shasta where I was born. Of course, being born and raised in Mount Shasta is itself <laughs> quite a otherworldly experience. <laughs> and I had a lot of friends in the forest who were fairies, even trolls. And I could see invisible kids that had passed on. And I had all kinds of friends. And my mom and dad finally built me a dollhouse out back because I never shut up talking to all my invisible friends. But one of my earliest childhood memories was that I would be sleeping in my room at night and these three beings would come down the hall into my room and I called them Caspers because as a little kid, I thought they were Casper the ghost and his friends. They were blue shimmering beings and they would come around my bed and do some sort of energy transmission. But I knew that it was loving and I looked forward to them coming and I appreciated and enjoyed whatever energetic transmission that they did. After a few years and after we moved away from Mount Shasta, those experiences ceased to happen and even my psychic abilities faded out and I just became a kid. This my is, father, go ahead. This is where I wanted to ruminate a bit. And one of the okay. reasons why I usually ask our guests the earliest memories in this life. And because I had, um, I had heard your PowerPoint earlier, I knew, I knew you had pre-birth memory and what you, but you didn't say this particular word in that powerpoint which just gave me the chills suzanne and i've said it on air for years and years and you're the only other person i've heard say it casper my experience with these little blue blue beings also would come through my window and come to the end of my bed and i always called them caspers uh it just gave me the chills uh -huh. to that absolute chills wow. you're the first person i've heard say that uh be because it was on my agenda to ask about the blue beings you described them in the picture in your uh in your powerpoint was you know a characterized picture but it it looked like the ones i experienced which were just two <clears throat> and actually i thought there was one for a long time, but they would come, they kind of came together through the window and would separate. So I didn't, I was never able to parse out if they were one or two because they were so closely linked. Uh, Wasn't it uh, Rudolf Steiner who said that the orgone energy was blue energy? I'm not sure. Was that's, that? a, that's a good question. But it just gave me the chills to hear someone else say Casper's. I mean, I'm on air for years saying this. So that is is extra uh, amazing to me straight away. It, it, they also were very friendly, and I felt no fear with them. They actually felt, uh, as I've told people, they, didn't, they weren't like little grays or anything. They were blue. And uh, so... I wanted to I wanted to step into this space for a minute with you and mm -hmm. and kind of dive mm -hmm. further because what I heard you talking on that little PowerPoint was not much and right here you kind of move forward too. Uh was there anything so where was your bedroom located 
in the house? Was it first floor, basement, second floor? We only had a one-story house at the time in Mount Shasta. Mm -hmm. And my bedroom was at the end of the hall on the left. Okay. The first story, too. <laughs> clearly and remember. <laughs> that, oh, it's, oh, this is it just, it's amazing to me. I love when these things happen. And also, did they, did they communicate to you? I didn't recall specific messages, just this feeling of unconditional love, yes. just this pure love. Yeah, same here. There was nothing. I, I never remember like words coming telepathically or anything. They were there. They made me feel safe. And there was a lot of stuff mm -hmm. yes. going on that. Uh, I felt like they were definitely friendly in there to help me feel safe, like I was protected and watched. Uh, so I, I just deeply profound. And also, so in this before birth experience, do you recall having been birthed, that process? I don't recall having been birthed. I, my very first memory is being in a high chair in the corner of the kitchen. And I very specifically remember this white high chair. And I remember looking at my fingers and my toes and laughing and thinking to myself, wow, I came back as a kid. <laughs> I came back as a little baby. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious, my little fingers and toes. And I looked in the corner and my mother's back was to me and she was preparing food. And I was thinking, oh, good. <laughs> this woman is preparing food for me. <laughs> like, she loves me. She cares about me. She's going to take care of me. All is well. <laughs> oh, my God. But this is... Yes. Jerry, you, I mean, you, you've heard me tell the story a million times. My first memory is similar where it's like we honed it down to six months and uh, because we moved out of the house at that time, it was the same thing. This is so uncanny. On air, I've been talking about this. I just talked about it the other night on Joe Roop's show and uh, it, where I was, I felt like a sleep paralysis because I couldn't move the babe, my baby knew now that I'm in a baby body, I couldn't move and it was gelatinous like, and it, I felt like I was in sleep paralysis, but I had, I was conscious. And again, my mother came in, and, but I'm in my bassinet. And so same experience, everyone's heard me talk about it, so I'm not going to relive it, but I just, this is uncanny. <laughs> this is She's like, you're just, that your is, are almost identical. I can, almost yes, identical. and I have honestly, never heard any of your broadcasts so yeah that is really uncanny it's, for sure truly and that's i mean and you didn't talk about this in uh in in the stuff i was listening to today so that's just more i'm i'm intrigued this is going to go somewhere uh definitely and i'll spare people from hearing me off the rails is what i'm thinking yeah this is this is amazing. Okay, so and then okay, so I'm gonna get back on track. I just am in awe of this at the moment. So these earliest memories of when you just gave us, can you also set up 
give us a picture or set the foundation for the things. So the youngest you in this flesh, uh, the, the stuff that sticks out that, you know, could be mundane, not important, but significant back there, like stuff that you enjoyed. Like, did you have a relationship with nature? Was there any pop culture like cartoons or movies, stuff like that? Uh, were you an only child? And just that, the basic foundation of the house of Suzanne Ross. Growing up in Mount Shasta, we were surrounded by the forests of Mount Shasta. And my sister was three years older than me. It's just the two of us. And my parents had told her that they were bringing home a baby for her from the hospital. So right away, my sister figured out that I was her new baby doll. And so she drug me everywhere with her, which was wonderful. But we would run, go play in the forests. And my parents had this big black cat named Lucifer of all things. And this that, big by the way. <laughs> and it's a cute picture. I, I saw the picture of Lucifer. This story is remarkable. Right. It is, she, Lucifer was a big cat with green eyes and she would send Lucifer out into the forest with us, my mother, because Lucifer would run off any critters that, you know, would come around and um Lucifer would also bring home critters. My parents would let Lucifer run free all night long. And in the morning, they'd open the door and he'd be sitting there licking his chops all proud because he had a bird or a rabbit or something on the doorstep for them. One morning, my mother opened the door and screamed bloody murder. And she told us to get away from the door. Well, as a squirrely little kid, I snuck my way to the door and my sister did too, because she has a clear recall of this as well. And there laying on the doorstep was a little man. I say man, but this little troll had no genitals. Um, it had fuzzy Afro type hair and it, it was dead. It was laying there. and. I'll never forget it. My mother grabbed a blanket, wrapped this little being in a blanket and buried it in the backyard. My sister and I recognized this troll because playing in the forests out there, these little trolls would peek out from behind the trunks of the trees. And we thought they lived in the trees or under the trees. Yes. We also were familiar with fairies and fairies would flit around in the leaves of the trees. And we could clearly see these beings and they would play with us and chase after us and fly around us. And, you know, we both remember that. Um, but specifically the ability to talk to kids uh, as spirit beings, um, very uh, close relationships with these spirit beings. And they would come in and sit down with us at dinner and I'd be chatting with them. And my parents were like, okay, it's time to <laughs> forget about the invisible being and chat with us. And I'm like, yeah, but it's Sally and Bobby. And <laughs> yes, I enjoyed my invisible friends. This is, a, so it's just so remarkable. Was the, was the little troll clothed at all? No, totally naked. They didn't wear clothes. Yeah, I mean, when you said it didn't really have a crutch, but I mean, I, I never know. 
and uh why did they have such english names what oh my invisible friends yeah if they were trolls you'd think they would have like i don't know weird names i didn't name the trolls the names that i gave you were names of the invisible kids oh i'm sorry that i okay. would I thought with. they were troll Yeah, kids. and I just made them up for the context of having yeah, I am so a sorry. reference. That's okay. You have a vivid imagination. <laughs> Thank you for that. So it, what's great yes, about this, were you able to talk with your mother later about that experience? We have brought it up before, and it's like she doesn't really want to talk about it. You know, it mm -hmm. scares her to this day. In fact, my mom is spooky, you know, because we've had a lot of things happen ever, you know, since my dad had that experience growing up. I mean, we had craft come over the house. We had craft fly through the yard. Um, yeah, all kinds of episodes have happened over the years and she don't want to talk about it. But my father... He wants to talk about it. You know, he talked about it. He is no longer with us, but um, we talked about stuff like that all the time. Of course, he waited until we were old enough not to be freaked out by his stories. But I came to learn that he also encountered Bigfoot in Saskatchewan. And actually, the Sasquatch got its name after Saskatchewan because yes. they're so prevalent <laughs> there. Anywhere there's Sasquatch, there's UFOs. Do you recall his story of Sasquatch? Just that the Sasquatch would come up from running water. It seems like they would live down by running water and they would come up through the woods and they would be seen more by mistake than anything else because they could be very elusive at will otherwise so yeah, yeah that it's mm -hmm. interesting what uh do you i'm sure you do know like your 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 astro trinity your sun moon and rising i don't know that off the top of my head no i'm not super into astrology i love it and i've got astrological readings you know a number of times but um I'm, that's not a passion of mine, even oh. though I totally believe all of this, <laughs> you know, to do with planetary and solar alignments and everything. Do you know, you know, at least your sun sign though. I don't. What, what is your, the date of like the month and the day? Uh, nine, 10, September 10th. Uh-huh. And I don't mind giving away my age. It's 1964. Um, oh, you're my can, age. Yeah, we can pull a fast chart. I am. That doesn't, yeah, oh, cool. <laughs> February 65 here. So back in, in this stuff, were you raised religious at all? No, not at all. My father was essentially an atheist until he got older. And my sister and I both stepped on a spiritual path, and then he started to open his mind to spirituality. Um, but he was more of a scientist. You know, he was an engineer and a scientist, and I uh, didn't believe in this vision of a man, you know, 6,000 years ago on top of a hill saying, let there be light, and everything began in a moment. 
you know, he just thought that mm-hmm. was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, and, and my mom wasn't raised religious either. Uh, she was very much into academics. She had a master's degree and she was into art and culture, but uh, religion, no. No. I I think it's a gift. It allows you to be open. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Absolutely. Did you, was there anything in pop culture that you enjoyed cartoons and movies at the time? Yeah, I love cartoons. <laughs> cartoons <laughs> were wild back then. Right? Yeah. I mean, Wile E. Coyote and the Roadrunner and Bugs Bunny. I, I mean, some of these cartoons. <laughs> Man, I, it's hard to believe they were actually for kids, you know? Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> witchy poo. <laughs> Loved witchy poo. HR puffin stuff. Okay, so at this Sesame time. Street. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Those were the days. So, all right. Back here also. So let's, we're, we're going to move forward. But what was your relationship with? any kind of childhood fears did you have did you have any you know the typicals like under the bed and in the wood and all that the dark I didn't I was pretty fearless my mother called me Susie Sunshine I just <laughs> loved everything and everyone and I would go anywhere and do anything and say hi to everyone I encountered and at night I'd be surrounded by my stuffed animals and I just, I didn't have any fear. And my, and my, um, household was very pleasant and very positive and there was no yelling or anger or rage or anything in the household either. So, um, yeah, I felt very safe in my household and they nurtured my sunny disposition. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and it certainly, has paid i mean it certainly shows all of this this really solid foundation you have is is pleasant to hear and see and experience what what was your relationship with dreaming at the as a child yeah it's so interesting that you should ask that um i was talking to jerry before we came on air it was because when i first read we talk about your dreams i was like oh my dreams and hopes of doing this and that no actually dream time <laughs> literal <Yeah. laughs> oh dream time <laughs> i mean i remember one dream as a kid of being chased being chased and not being able to run fast enough and then my legs actually giving out and falling and I was being chased through a wheat field by a big African-American man. And he would like get close enough to touch me or grab me and I'd wake up. But that was a recurring dream. I often wondered where that came from. And so one time in a hypnotic regression, what came up is that there was a lifetime where my father was a missionary and we were like European blue bloods. And for some reason, we would go to these African-American villages in Africa and, you know, come in Bible thumping as missionaries. And the leaders of these tribal communities would be furious that 
you know, we were trying to come in and um, influence their rich tradition of their own beliefs and ceremonies and rituals. And I'm sure they were very connected to the earth and the cosmos. And, you know, um, they were doing just fine <laughs> without our. And so I remember in this hypnotic regression that we came into a village and there was this large African-American man and he was upset that I was playing with the kids, that I was playing with his kids. And we were all having fun playing together. And so he tried to run me off. And um, that was the dream of being chased through the field. How long, uh, that was a reoccurring dream. How long did it care, how many years or months or? I mean, it seems to me I had that dream maybe from the age of six to maybe eight. Okay. Great. And, and did then you? Flying, oh. you know, you always have flying. So dreams. tell us about the flying. <laughs> so this was when you were young, love, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but the, the flying dream definitely continued into adulthood, but it was different. Like as a kid, I was a bird. You know, I was a bird and I could fly anywhere over oceans and mountains. And as an adult, it was more cumbersome. And I was trying to fly as a person. I was trying to, you know, fly as an adult. And in my dream, I could. I could just run and take off and start soaring over things. <laughs> but as a child, it was more like a bird. <sighs> That's an interesting transformation. I like it. And we'll get, we'll get more into your current um, status with that, with the, uh, how you dream now. So also, did you experience as a child any sleep paralysis? Oh, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> Girl, if share. anything was unnerving to me, you asked if I had a fear. That was unnerving. Yeah, you know, it, this it often is not being able to move. Yeah. Right. And I, I definitely remember that as a child. And so these things about these blue beings visiting and about experiencing this paralysis of being awake, but not being able to open my eyes or move and being aware of a presence, you know, that was like two different things. When these blue beings came, it was a positive experience and I had no need. I didn't feel the paralysis during that. But when I would be in paralysis, I would feel as if somebody was actually walking down the hallway and entering my room and standing over me. And it was not the benevolent, loving experience of the blue beings. What did, were you able to get any visuals at all on that? You know, I have not. I have not. It would, but this feeling was intruder, intruder, but never uh, physically harmed me. But I still felt like this intruder was doing something beyond just observing me. Yeah. And also, so with that, with that move us, so now let's, we've got a foundation and we understand a little bit more, our audience at least, a little bit more about you, where you come from and all this. Let's move forward into your life. 
And you had mentioned earlier that there was a period, I think it's a period of lull, and now I can't read my notes for some reason, a period of lull. So you were seeing the the Caspers and other stuff, but then there's this period uh, in fairies where that all faded away. Mm-hmm. And I just became a kid. You know, playing with my friends, going to school, and then a young adult, and then things completely shifted when I was 29 years old living in Philadelphia. Ooh, Saturn return. Well, walk us, give us, bring us to you at 29, and what was the shift that happened? So I had been born in born in northern california but mostly raised in southern california and at the age of 24 got married to a corporate executive who moved us to the east coast and so we lived there for 7 years and by the end of about 5 years i was miserable i was also a corporate executive traveling this and that we had the big house and the fancy car and all but it it was making me miserable, especially working for the corporate world and the mean-spirited politics. Also, just living back east as a Southern California beach girl, I found the weather to be really brutal and the traffic to be brutal and the mean-spirited politics to be brutal. And I started to have anxiety attacks and just an array of physical ailments, including my hair falling out in clumps, eczema all over my skin, respiratory and urinary tract issues. I was underweight and just, you know, at my wits end. And we ended up moving from New Jersey to Philadelphia because of my husband's job. And so I was forced to quit my job to accommodate his higher paying job. And when we got to Philadelphia, I could not find a job to save my life. I paid an, uh, a recruiting firm over $3,000 to try to help me find a job. And no matter what I did or where I went, I couldn't get one. And in retrospect, I know exactly why, because I was not meant to stay there. But about a year into living there, my husband would go off to work in the morning and we had this bedroom at the, upstairs at the end of the hall. And boom, it started to happen again, right about dawn. I would be laying there and suddenly I would wake up because I heard footsteps coming up the stairs and down the hall and I was completely paralyzed and there was nothing I could do but lay there in fear of these people, beings, whomever were coming into my bedroom and standing over my bed. Now, they didn't say anything, but I was very aware of their looming presence. And then they would leave. And shortly after I would hear them leave, I would shake out of the paralysis and sit up, <gasps> catch my breath, and just, you know, be stunned. And this continued to happen for a few months before finally I was called by my parents to visit them in the desert of Southern California. And this is where my life changed dramatically after I had been with them for a couple of weeks and 
experiencing love and joy and laughter and fun in the sun and then realizing my vacation was coming to an end and I was going to have to return to my life in hell. And I was just compelled on one morning, waking up with this impending sense of doom to run to this mountain range behind their house. And I just ran and it was dawn and the sun was coming up behind the mountain range. And I was running and crying and thinking I could just run away from my fate. But I knew I had to run to the top of that mountain. And I did. And when I got to the top, I just threw my arms up to the sky and I said, I am miserable in the extreme and I see no way out. And in that moment, I was surrounded by a bright white light. And out of the light, a voice came and said, can't you see you've come home? You will stay here and heal yourself and many others. And when the light cleared and I looked out over the desert landscape, I knew that was the absolute truth for me. And in a moment, I was spontaneously healed. And the person who ran up that mountain, depressed, full of anxiety, physical ailments, was not the same person who ran down. The person who ran down was full of excitement and enthusiasm over my new life in the desert as a healer, and I was full of health and vitality. And over the next two weeks, I was just following this force that was guiding me to do this and do that. And in two weeks, I completely transformed my life from a stressed out corporate manager in the East Coast to a healer in the desert. In two weeks, I left my husband, I moved to Southern California and became a healer in the desert and stayed there and healed myself and many others, just like the voice said I would. I have since had hypnotic regressions of both the incidents that were taking place in Philadelphia and what happened on the mountaintop. What, what did these, your hypno um, sessions reveal? So it was uncanny because I had scheduled a hypnotherapy session for a gentleman who was coming for one of my events here in Sedona. And he ended up not being able to take that session. And I had already paid for it for him. So I thought, you know, what the heck, I'll take it for him. So I went to this woman here in Sedona, who's quite well known. And you never know what's going to come up, right? So she put me into this deep trance state. And as I went deeper and deeper and deeper, the first vision that arose was me laying in my bed in Philadelphia. And these extraterrestrial looking beings standing over my bed. Again, three of them. This time they looked like they were wearing like astronaut uniforms. They had a breathing apparatus on a glass helmet around their head that attached to their suit, but they could take their this glass um, helmet off for a short period of time. And they did. And they had light brown skin with rigid foreheads and they had a ridge that ran down their nose and small lips, big brown eyes, and their eyes were complex, like almost like there was geometric patterns and numbers behind them. Their, their brown eyes were just very complex. And um, the 
the the first one said to me, now is the time. It's time for you to enter the third phase of your life. And your life is about to change dramatically. And we are here to prepare you for that. We have come as messengers and it's actually you who asked us to come for you at this point in your life. And so here we are in service and they performed some type of energetic transmission that was meant to be sort of an up-leveling or uh, maybe a DNA upgrade, but something at a cellular level to prepare me for what was about to happen in the desert of Southern California. During this time period, were you, in, how, how was all this playing out? What was going on in your dream life? You know, I don't recall vivid dreams around that time. And in fact, even though I have dreams and for a time after attending some dream workshops, when I moved back to Northern California, I was able to then practice lucid dreaming and like be consciously aware and interactive in my dream. But prior to that, not having a really vivid dream life, although one dream that really sticks out for me was this dream about my sister and I, who were led down this long flight of stairs to the bottom floor of what seemed like a warehouse. And the floor was gray and the walls were gray. But what stood there was this large scale that you could get up on. And there were all of these little gray aliens with big black eyes. And they were so excited. They were jumping up and down. Get on the scale, get on the scale. And so we were like, okay. So I got on the scale and I weighed nothing. And they laughed and clapped their hands and they said, now let your sister get on. And so my sister got on and we still weighed nothing. And they just thought that was so much fun. And then we were caught up in it and we thought it was funny and fun. And everyone was like jumping and laughing. And <laughs> does, your, does your sister remember these experiences as well? No, this was my dream. Oh, it was a dream. Yeah, she, okay, okay. It, it was a dream. Yeah, this was a dream that I started to have around the time that uh, Nish was referencing. Yeah. Yeah. It's sometimes though, those dreams turn out to be actual things. Yeah, it very well could be. Right. So I'm curious if you ever I talked mean, to your sister about it because she might have had the same I dream. I haven't. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, she's coming to visit in yeah. a few days. I'll have to ask her about that. I got to ring the synchro I bell have... now. <laughs> I have definitely had dreams where I have woken up and felt like I was just returning. And I have woken up and sat straight up in bed. And I have a habit of leaving my windows open. I feel 
happier when I am sleeping if there is a window open. Otherwise, I feel claustrophobic and stuffy, you know, but if I open a window and there can be some fresh air coming in, I sleep much better. And so I have clear recall of on a, you know, a recurrent basis of waking up and sitting up and feeling like I'm just coming back into my body and seeing like a light flash and, you know, fly out through the window. I've also woken up and seen shadow entities standing in my room and learned a technique for sending them away. <laughs> What's your technique for sending the shadowy beings away or entities, however we want to frame them? And it was just intuitive. The first time I sat up and I looked in the corner of my bedroom and there was a shadow being with a head, shoulders, down to the torso, but nothing beneath the torso. Just an upper body, black shadow. And when I woke up, this shadow being was moving toward me. And I instinctively put up my hands like I was going to catch a basketball. And I pulled all of the energy into my hands and I threw this ball of dark energy out my window and I screamed, you are not welcome here. Never come back. And all was clear. When do, so when these shadowy beings show up, okay, all right, we got a gap here. So when was it you started actually coming online more with your dreams and into, say, the lucid dreaming period where you know you're dreaming? So when in 2007, when the economy took a deep dive, I lost my business and spiraled into a classic dark night of the soul, what my friend Laura Eisenhower would call an underworld initiation. And she says, the dark night is a great gift. Well, for me, it actually was. Although the dark night was a very painful, dark period of my life, when I woke up out of that underworld initiation and I emerged into the light. The light was bigger and brighter than I had ever seen it before. And I stepped onto a Buddhist path inspired by my sister who had been on the path for a while. And I dove in head first and started doing these deep trance meditations where I was experiencing Bodhisattvas coming and joining me during my meditations. I was able to astral travel. It wasn't long before I started automatic writing and then channeling. And it was around this time that I started to have the more vivid dreams. I was able to see and feel spirit beings in my presence. And then I went to attend the dream workshop. And she taught me how to, uh, you know, engage in lucid dreaming where I could then be conscious during my dream and engage in my dream and actually direct what was unfolding in my dream. 
What was the, who was the teacher? What was the um, process as far as, I mean, like. Mary Mose. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was going to get. Mary Mose is her name, a beautiful lady. Her and her partner, business partner, um, Ron Valley, owned the Awakening Center in Brentwood, California. And when I discovered their center, I was thrilled. And so I started, because I was seeking a spiritual community. And so I started to go and attend their classes and workshops and gatherings and meditations. And she was trained um, in, in the Carl Jung, uh, Jungian uh, psychology. Um, in fact, she had a PhD in Jungian psychology. <laughs> and so, as we know, um, Jungian analysis of dreams is um, common. And so that was her field of dream interpretation and then lucid dreaming training. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, we we love the Jungian stuff here. So when you first started coming online with OBEs and astral projection, which to me are the uh, same thing, it's just the terminology is is I think astral projection is a little bit more. Um, I don't know. There's just been a shift in the terminology over the years. But when you started to come into this as a regular praxis, did you, first of all, what was the first thing in in this process of astral projection through a high state of lucidity that when you come back to this experience of your conscious uh, journey, what was the what what stuck out what what seemed different in that state of consciousness from this state of consciousness are you referring to the dream state or the meditative state well the the uh ob the astral projection or high states of lucidity or even active imagination which can be another portal mm -hmm. So in deep trance meditation, as taught by the Buddhist, you know, practitioners, um, I immediately, in fact, the very first Buddhist meditation that I went into, right away, I felt three beings sweep into the room. And in fact, the wind of them sweeping in blew my hair back. And I was so thrilled that these spirit beings had come to join me for my meditation. And it wasn't long before I was able to seat myself within my Merkaba vehicle and travel through the cosmos. And it was, it, it happened so quickly, like I shot out of my body and went right into the cosmic journey. and over time was able to actually visit other star systems and encounter the beings who lived on different planetary foundations uh, within this galaxy and even in neighboring galaxies 
as my skills were more refined, I could travel further and further out into the cosmos. And I knew how to also bring that back into, bring myself back into my body to become present again. And so this would be more in a meditative state. In dream time, it was different because in dream time, through the technique that I was taught, I would engage in dreams that were more relative to the earth experience, maybe traveling into past life experiences, or as we know, simultaneous lives unfolding all at once in different timelines. But I would find myself, for instance, in the jungles of Cambodia and, you know, with the swath, like swathing away the, you know, giant leaves so that we could hike and we would discover like a hidden temple. And, you know, it would take me into times in Mayan villages and even off to Egypt, I would go and be, you know, alive and well inside a golden pyramid doing priestess initiation. You know, this is more what I would experience with the lucid dreaming states. Fantastic. And it, it, that was a great description of both, uh, both these states of consciousness, by the way. Uh, wow. And so in, in your experience, uh, in your current experience of the dreamscape as you as you traverse it and so i'm speaking of definitely when you when you the dream state the uh night time night side experience how do you experience the all the tactile stuff and sensate stuff like color uh, are you able to read is there a sense of scent uh uh, touch those kinds of things that we so uh, that we find common in this construct. Yes, everything in the lucid dreaming state was so very real, and I was active in it. Where in regular dream states, you are more of the observer and you're sort of observing yourself having these experiences or the experience unfolds and you really don't feel like you had anything to do with it. It just was like a movie you were watching. And in the lucid dreaming state, I was very consciously aware of being myself as this particular personality in this movie. And I could choose what to do next and what to say and where to go and, you know, engage in conversations sort of from a place of free will rather than when you wake up from a normal dream, it just is like this dream happened to you <laughs> rather than because of you. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, to me, absolutely. And uh, I think to lots of people out there that are lucid dreamers. It, so when when you're in this 
when you're in a lucid dream, are you able to arrange things through that space to affect this this state of consciousness where you are functioning as Suzanne Ross? I don't quite understand the question. Can you rephrase that? Are you able to change things through lucid dreaming and OBEs uh, that affect you when you're so in, in here, in this state of a seemingly awakeness that we have, your you know, your ego is Suzanne Ross, you're you're functioning as that character, basically, is how I see it. So are you able to affect things in this life through through lucid dreaming? On this time that hasn't been yeah, right? I mean, that would be a cool goal. <laughs> <laughs> heal things from past lives yes <laughs> yes spontaneously heal in this one <laughs> no that would be a goal to set out for sure but uh no it wasn't like that it would it, you know because i really haven't i really i stopped doing it um one thing that made me stop doing it is it was actually quite exhausting and i didn't get a good sleep I was so engaged in these, you know, active nighttime adventures that I would wake up tired and that just didn't suit my life. <laughs> you know, I had a busy job and I was actually a personal trainer and, you know, had clients back to back all day and I couldn't be tired and it was like too much. Um... And so I actually just stopped doing that and uh, sort of just let my dream state return to a normal dream time. In fact, it seems as if now I can willingly or willfully um, have a very peaceful sleep with very little dreaming or even recall of dreaming. However, on, the, on that note, after I moved to Sedona and the extraterrestrial visitations and the missing time experiences really started to become a regular occurrence, then I found myself waking up exhausted and knowing that I was being mm, transported to... um what seemed to me to be like galactic council meetings and engaged with a group who were making plans and decisions about the fate of the galaxy. Um, I mean, it's just true. You know, this, the recollections that I have of these dream times are um, waking up and recalling being in a like a large white conference room, for instance, with a large crystal dome in the center. And the people who are sitting around this large round, like large round table taking up an entire conference room were beings from different star races. And they had different types of uniforms with emblems on their uniforms. And they had, you know, had different appearances, although humanoid. And I was one of them. I would be one of them. And since I chose to participate in this council meeting willingly in this dream, 
I would have the opportunity to stand up and share and be part of, you know, this actively be a part of this meeting in progress. Um, but I would find from that, that that would get exhausting over time too. But all I had to do was tune in to my cosmic brothers and sisters and just, you know, say, we need to take a break for a while because I need to be well rested for my mission here on earth <laughs> in waking time. Oh. It, we hear there are a lot of people and I, I too experience this when I am lucid or at a high state of uh, clarity and nowness within in the dream state, I suppose if you want to call it that, I come back and I'm completely exhausted. And, and I hear that time and time again. And in fact, I think oftentimes it's a, a good indication for people that have no recall that they were indeed engaged in in that kind of they're out working they're out doing something and for some reason whatever however that mechanism works the body just doesn't get the rest it needs for and it almost seems counterintuitive you think if you were not in it it would get you would feel more rested but but you're not because you're out doing stuff you energetically you are so I'm wondering, what is your experience with precognitive stuff? So this can fall in line with dreaming, of course, but it can also fall in line with how I know, I know that you have an awakened psychic body and all this, and this is some of the work you do. What, how does that work for you, the precog stuff? Like the psychic awareness? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. And so when I started to engage on a daily basis in these deep trance meditations, I became aware that I could sense the presence of spirits. And then, like I said, I started to realize that I could channel and even do automatic writing. And so it was at this time that I made an effort to develop and refine my psychic abilities. Um, initially, it was more about understanding who we are, where we came from, why we're here, where we're going. I became very fascinated by the energetic realm and what we're made of, and what is this reality, and how are we able to observe this movie and have our senses engaged to be so awake and aware in it. Um, and so that led to me reading everything I could get my hands on from quantum physics to religion even, spirituality of course, and so my understanding of the energetic realm led me to some profound revelations about my soul as being whole, perfect, and complete, standing at the center of my creation and mentally 
projecting holographic fractals of my personality into different space-time dimensions. But as my eternal soul, the only real aspect of myself standing in the center, I could choose to project my consciousness into all of these incarnations all at once, simultaneously, directing them, observing them. And then as the holographic fractal myself, have the ability to turn around and look right back at my eternal soul and then ultimately to see through the eyes of my eternal soul and be able to myself observe other timelines that I was in and even other dimensions that I was in. The multidimensional really came in after a missing time experience, but before that, I was able to do past life regressions um, for others. And in essence, when you're doing a past life regression, you're doing one of two things or both. Um, you are seeing through the eyes of the eternal soul of this person because you are standing there viewing their other lives in different timelines. And or you facilitate a hypnotic trance state where they are able to do that, stand and observe these movies of themselves unfolding because they've become their eternal soul projecting the holographic images of themselves. So not to get too heavy, but you know, this is really how my psychic awareness developed over time. Um, and then, like I said, after a missing time experience, um, a few weeks after that was gifted with the ability to see into higher dimensional realms and visit with higher dimensional aspects of myself and then others as well. When you, so you, you kind of tease us with this missing time event that was really significant bringing all this on. Would you share that with us? Sure. So when I first started doing Ascension meditations using Dr. Joshua David Stone's Ascension manuals. Um, I'm going to say 2015. When I first saw the word Arcturian, it jumped out at me. And I right away knew that I had to find out exactly who the Arcturians were and that somehow I was very connected to this race of beings. And so I went to a bookstore, and as so often happens with books I'm meant to pick up and read, it's almost as if they become illuminated on the bookshelf and push out. And this book that illuminated on the shelf was called The Arcturian Anthology by Tom Kenyon. And so I pulled it off the shelf, purchased it, bought it home, and read and read and read, and I knew that in another dimension, I was an Arcturian and that I had my Arcturian brothers and sisters there as well and that I was being reached out to by my higher dimensional aspect. 
from the Star Arcturus and even my brothers and sisters there, you know, my family, you know, reaching out to try to connect with me here in this dimension. And so I met a couple of people here in Sedona and learned that the gentleman had specifically moved out to a very remote area of the desert, even though he had a long commute. He wanted to be out in this remote place in order to intentionally call in his Arcturian star family and to actually have physical contact. And he did. They were able to land their craft in this really remote area of the desert, and he was able to go on board and he developed relationships with these Arcturian star family members. And so one night they were staying with me and one night we just set an intention to call upon the Arcturians and see if maybe they could lower their ship or somehow make contact with us. And so we thought, okay, you know, we'll stand here and the three of us will hold hands and we'll engage in this intentional, you know, transmitting this message to Arcturian star families. And so then we went out on my back deck. It's an upper deck and we, you know, thought, well, maybe something will happen. Maybe it won't, whatever. And so the first thing that happened is the lights on the deck came on, which can only be turned on from inside the house. So we kind of looked at each other and thought, okay, well, that was a little creepy. And then we saw this bright white light, a huge flash, an explosion of light on the horizon. And shortly after that, Megan grabbed the handrail and said, I feel dizzy. And I grabbed the handrail and said, I feel dizzy too. And then the motion detector at the bottom of the stairwell went off the one halfway up and the one at the top. And we just stared at the stairwell because it was if somebody was coming up the stairs, but we didn't see anybody. And the next thing we knew, we were just standing there on the deck, freezing cold and wondering why the heck we were still standing on the deck. And we came inside and sat down in the living room. And we were also disoriented and exhausted. So we couldn't even carry on any conversation. And I just said, I'm going to bed. And I thought, why in the heck am I going to bed at 830 at night? Because we had gone out there about eight and it certainly didn't seem like any more than a half hour. And so I went to bed and I had my phone in my hand. I laid it on the nightstand and turned it over and it said 1240. And I was shocked, but I was so exhausted. I just fell fast to sleep. And the next morning, I woke up and I was nauseated and disoriented, still dizzy. And I walked out to the kitchen, looked at the coffee maker and thought, no way. I just got a glass of water and was sipping on the water. And then my friend Megan came out and Matthew came out and they all looked white and nauseated. And we just sat there sipping on water. And Matthew said, did you see what time it was when we went to bed last night? And I said, yeah. And we all just sat there stunned. It was like, it wasn't like we were excitedly saying, oh my God, do you think we got taken up? Or it wasn't like that at all. We just sat there in silence. And it that's wasn't until later in the day that we actually started to feel better. Go ahead. That's incredible. It, it was uh, for the, the uh, sake of people listening. What was the name of the book again? 
the Arcturian one? The Arcturian, uh-huh. The Arcturian Anthology by Tom Kenyon. Okay, good. And Jerry will put that in the chat and also in my private. <laughs> I had I had a crazy Arcturian experience. I didn't know who they I didn't know anything about them and until I almost feel ashamed until rather recently. And uh and but I experienced them as blue. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure. You know, I don't know. I don't. I'm not familiar with all the, all everything around them. But it was very clear that that was what I was experiencing, and it came through very visceral, like your hair being blown back. I had uh, this this thing came into my house like that, like almost on the wind. If I recall correctly, Arcturians are associated with blue for some reason. <clears throat> Do you know, Suzanne, is blue significant to them? You know, that's not my recall, but, you know, like any planet, <laughs> there could be different, you know, versions of Arcturians and or being advanced beings. Maybe they have the ability to come in in any uh, image that you or I would most resonate with. Yeah. They, they appeared to me not like Casper. They appeared like uh, the Hindi gods. And, um, you know, you see in India all over that yeah. type of blue. Blue bloods. Too much copper. <laughs> Our silver is <laughs> this colloidal. Um, <laughs> That's remarkable, though. And Jerry, did you get that the link for that book? Yeah, it's in the show notes. Okay, cool. Thank you. And so, at what point did you did your? So we know when in two thousand seven you had this in your life, did this shift and all that. When did you come online and start working? Start accepting. So you you were you were open always. You had this really wonderful childhood and wonderful parents that allowed that so that you know the doors of perception have just always been there for you uh but through all this and then coming into 2007 we had this dark night experience uh that led to where you are now when did you start coming online and coming forward with this uh your new set of skills and this new uh, awakening, this new perception, this new path that had obviously always been there for you and that brought you forward into the public, into the public eye and doing what you do now. Was there something that pushed you that way or were you just guided? That's the same thing, actually. Were you pushing yourself that way or were you feeling guided? Did something, someone say, hey, Suzanne, write this book or, you know, because you have two books, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. Thank you for knowing that. <laughs> <laughs> I love radio show hosts who actually do their homework before the show. <laughs> I checked thank you, you out. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, there was. Um, so during this time of really just awakening, 
and this would be starting in 2008, part of my meditative process that was really effective was walking meditations because I've always felt very connected with nature. And so I would head out and as I walked, I would say these Buddhist prayers and I would start to observe myself shifting into my golden light body. And so essentially I'm walking in remote areas of nature where there's no artificial structures or even other people, except for just the animals. And I would be walking through the creation as my golden light body and I would start to experience shifting and the reality around me becoming sparkling light and all of the colors becoming very fluorescent and fluid. And it was then that I really started to understand the holographic nature of reality in fractals and the water as liquid consciousness. And everything is consciousness. Form is crystallized consciousness. But I then got interested beyond the energetic realm into the bigger questions of who are we? Why are we here? Where do we come from? And so I became very fascinated by the meaning and purpose of our existence. And so that led me to start reading more of different religious beliefs, different spiritual belief systems. And I was just seeking a clear and simple answer for the meaning and purpose of life. When, after reading many books, I was walking out in nature one day and I was looking down at the ground and I was just going, meaning and purpose, meaning and purpose. And I felt a tap on my shoulder and a voice whisper in my ear, look up. And I looked up and written across the sky in puffy white lettering, it said, meaning to create, purpose to evolve. And I just stood there staring at the sky writing. And I knew I was witnessing a miracle. But when the awe wore off, I was just consumed with this like overwhelming sense of relief. Thank you for just a clear and simple answer. Of course, the meaning of life is to create and the purpose is to evolve. Yes. It's so simple, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I went home and went to bed. The next morning I woke up and this light was just streaming through my window. It was like all of this sparkling light surrounding me and I was so ecstatic. And then I remembered my revelation from the day before. And it's like, I wanted to run out into the street and say, does everybody know the meaning of life is to create and the purpose is to evolve? <laughs> like, okay, no, I'll be hauled off by the men in the white jackets. And so I stood there in the kitchen for a minute after I'd gone downstairs. And suddenly I just felt this energy pulling me up the stairs, down the hall, plop down in front of the computer and start typing furiously. And when I came to hours later and I looked at the computer and I had written pages and pages of what looked to be some kind of training modules. And as soon as I came back into my body, I was like, I gotta go to the bathroom. Oh my God, I'm starving. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I went downstairs and I realized that it had, it was like three, four hours later. And once I took care of my body, I came back up and realized that what I had written was a mind, body, spirit workshop. It was so clearly written out. Six weeks, here's your modules for the mind, here's your modules for the spirit, and here's the modules for the body. And so I was just stunned because I had been doing some automatic writing, but it was more like putting pen to paper and it would be these little squiggly lines. This was just typing on the computer like mad. And so I went for a nature walk and I started talking to spirit and I was like, okay, what am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> you know, where would I teach this? And the other voice was like, duh. You work in a wellness center. There's over 5,000 members. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm a personal training coach and a nutritional counselor. Like, no. And the voice just said, you'll figure it out. <laughs> so I thought, well, okay. I sent it to my boss. And the next day we met in this large aerobic room sitting on two big exercise balls. And he's looking at my printout. And he says, so you want to bring mind and spirit into your programming? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, the body is just a vehicle for the eternal soul after all. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> Whose boss says that? <laughs> right? <laughs> but I mean, he gave me the green light. He gave me the green light to go forward with Mind, which was thought expansion, consciousness projection, understanding the power of intention. Um, for the spirit, it was breathing practices, visualization, meditation. For the body, it was a purification program and movement. And I, for the first one, I had 12 people sign up, which I thought was rather symbolic. And what was just supposed to be six weeks turned into four months, five months. And more and more people joining and telling me what a powerful, positive impact it was having on their lives, both professionally and personally. And I had to write for these workshops and present. And as I did, I started to realize that I enjoyed writing. And one day on one of my nature walks, I heard a voice out of the air <laughs> come through and say, it's time for you to write a 30-day book on the evolution of consciousness. And I'm like, a book? I'm not an author. 30 days, the evolution of consciousness? That sounds really heavy, man. <laughs> like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> that sounds <all> right. <laughs> What are you talking about? <laughs> not going to happen. Well, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> several years later, and I have three 10-day books, basically on the evolution of consciousness. <laughs> and did they come through the same way? Is this your first, um, is that the, the workshop that you presented to your boss and then which led to all this? Yes, there was a lot of um, channeling. In fact, I made it clear to spirit that whatever came through for these books had to come from spirit because at the time I had read a lot of books and I had attended other people's classes and workshops and I did not want to copy 
anything else anyone else was doing. This had to be authentic from spirit. And so spirit cooperated and channeled through me the process in my first book, Wake Up, which is a process of karmic cause and effect analysis where people apply the most transformational experiences of their life to this karmic cause and effect analysis. And when they identify the causes of these transformational experiences and the effects that they had on others, the life lessons hidden within become perfectly clear, especially after time and again, the patterns reveal themselves. And so the idea is to identify the life lessons you came here to learn, apply them to your life today by intentionally creating meaningful experiences so that you can consciously evolve toward more enlightened ones. In effect, meaning to create purpose to evolve. So now you're intentionally creating meaningful lives and purposefully evolving toward more enlightened ones. Have you ever uh, channeled or encountered what you would consider like an inorganic or an artificial intelligence? Collective? Oh, I'm going to have to say no to that. Um, the beings that have come through me are very conscious beings with distinct personalities. In fact, that's how I'll know who it is by the essence of their personality, sort of their frequency their signature, yeah. if you will. And, yep. Mm -hmm. Totally get that. You guys, can you excuse me for just one second? Sure. I have to let my dog out. Go for it. Okay, just be one second. Do, 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 do. <laughs> so do so uh, kind of music. I watched that new Picard show, the Star Trek Picard. Oh, yeah. It's really good. Yes. I liked it a lot. And it, it has... Uh, oh, hello. Welcome back. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. It became apparent that my dog needed to go out. <laughs> Feces occurs, as they say. <laughs> so we're, just following up on Jerry's query, what are your thoughts on, on this, the kind of AI stuff that's lingering around? Where do you, you know, what's your intuition say about it? What is... What's going on in your mind when that kind of uh, language comes forth? I mean, I suspect that many of the gray aliens that people experience are, some of them anyways, I'm not going to say all races of gray aliens, but some of them are likely programmed AI doing the bidding of higher intelligence, higher intelligent beings that have an agenda. Um, and uh, it feels to me like AI would essentially be being directed by 
beings with an agenda, you know, an agenda for humanity and likely more of a malevolent one, more of a controlling agenda in order to achieve certain things that have to do with power and control. Um, yeah, that would be, that would be my take on that. Um, Do you, so as we move further into, into these times where that is becoming part of the, the collective narrative and it's getting, uh, it's definitely interwoven within the ET and the ufology and the cryptid community for sure. Uh, do you, and so I'm asking this of you as I'm asking your psychic self this, where do you think that could be leading us? I mean, for starters, I, although I want to be a realist, and you can ask a lot of my friends who know me quite well and my perspectives are always looking toward the light <laughs> and expanding into the light of a higher way of living and being that doesn't involve any of the darker agendas. So I haven't and or don't spend much time at all um, concerning myself uh, with things like um, AI or, um, you know, even uh, more malevolent races that may have a darker agenda. Um, and that's how I, that's how I would position AI within that realm. And so um, I truly feel, and this is just my personal feeling, and believe me, I've been taken to task on it numerous times, but um, that where your attention goes, energy flows, and that we as humanity create our realities individually and collectively. So we can make a choice. We can choose to create a reality where we are sovereign beings who have the power to manifest heaven here on earth above and beyond any agenda of a non-benevolent flavor and that we can rise above any AI uh, reality that may be unfolding. And in fact, we can choose to create an AI reality and have that be our new reality here as a collective and or we can choose to have a reality where we are sentient sovereign beings here on this earth plane creating unity consciousness in love and light and peace and harmony i really do believe we create our realities and we can do one or the other um i remember being at a conference a large con i'll just say it's contact in the desert and I was interviewing a very high level person who everybody in this industry knows very well. And I'm just going to let them remain nameless. Um, but they were going to step onto stage. And this would be someone that the entire conference would flock to see. So they would be in front of thousands of people. It's got to be Wilcock And they Wilcock would stand up there. <laughs> 
they would they were planning to go into their presentation in an hour and they were going to tell the entire audience that our new reality would be ai and that demons were coming through the astral plane and this would be our future and we just better prepare for it and i said well <laughs> i would like to offer that you are then going to be an important part of creating just that because we create this reality with our thoughts and these people to you they are an icon you are an icon so if you go out there and you tell them this they are going to go out there and collectively create it with the power of their thoughts and they're going to share it with all their friends and before you know it ai could be the reality of our future or <laughs> you could go out there and use your power in a much more positive way and talk about angels coming through the astral realm and talk about us rising up as sentient sovereign beings who can come together in unity communities and rise above all of this what do you choose well because it's more popular to talk about demons and AI and conspiracy theory and going down the dark rabbit hole, <laughs> they choose to do that because it sells more books, apparently. But there you have it. There's my take on it, my friends. <laughs> well, with that, there's said, my standing on my soapbox. <laughs> with but, that, but you're said, not wrong. I mean, completely, yeah. I, I completely agree with you. And that's something I've worried about too. Hey, all the, Jer. All the fuel, fear porn is going to manifest. People talk about like Project Bluebeam and fake alien invasions and all this shit. I'm like, you're manifesting by talking about it so much. 100%. I totally agree. Thank you. Thank you for that. The, the conundrum here is since we're part of the collective, and, and this is, I'm just bringing in, I think, some, uh, just another angle. So since we're part of the collective and those narratives, those stories are feeding a collective culpa, if you will. Uh, and, and like you said, we're, I always say what you feed grows is kind of what, where I go with that analogy, but it, it is being fed. And so how do those of us that are choosing to not ride the waves of that timeline work around the collective that seems to be really engaged in in that narrative and, and there it's certainly being fed and it does seem to be growing i mean for me personally i just continue to inspire and empower and, you know, make my speech that I just made to you guys on air. <laughs> you know, I have a couple of radio shows myself and I just continue to bring in the light and raise the frequency. Um, the more people that I can effectively raise the, their love light frequency, then the more people who wake up out of that and turn toward the light and turn away from the shadows. So, you know, my mission here on earth is to do everything in my power to shine the brightest light I can on humanity's 
individually, you know, and collectively. And I have had people come to visit me who were very wrapped up in the conspiracy theory and, you know, going down the rabbit hole of all of these, you know, darker, malevolent agendas and evil aliens. And, you know, they've come to stay with me and I've just told them just what I told you. You know why you're so sick all the time? Is because of where your attention is going. And you're drinking and you're smoking pot and you're you're going down the black hole because that's where your attention is flowing. And on more than a few occasions after staying with me for a few days, they will violently start throwing up and having, you know, this complete like transformation. You pull of, demons out of people. Exactly. I mean, and they'll come out and they'll say, my God, black and green goo is coming out of my body, Suzanne. And I'm like, well, the light here is very bright and this is a good thing. And then they'll call me and say, you know what? I put away my iPad. I'm not following all that crap anymore. I'm not staying up till two in the morning, engaging in these late night shows that are all about that. And my life and my health has improved dramatically. I'm spending more time in nature. I mean, you know. I have a so. pet theory that Apple products are a big contributor to what's happening, to the infection, if you will. Right. Right. I mean, talk about AI. Our phones are AI. I mean, <laughs> right. Like, well, they're not technically AI, but they talk to an AI. They communicate with AIs. <laughs> yeah. Phones aren't, yeah, you know, they're not, they're not, that. you know, powerful enough to house an AI. So they just communicate with one in the back behind the scenes. Yeah. 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 That makes perfect sense to me. With, so back to when you were writing these books and all that, did, did you get any information? Was any of this interactive through your dream life at all? Um, I'm going to say it was around that time that I started to become aware that I was leaving my body at night and returning in the morning. So some of the beings that I first started to channel were ascended masters. And it became apparent to me that what was happening at night is that I was being taken out of my body and being present in different star systems like I started to experience different futuristic realities on these other earth-like foundations where they had pyramids that were made of pure crystal and crystal obelisks and crystal domes. And each of these different buildings would serve a different purpose, but it was all around enlightenment and initiation and healing and training. And I would see myself actually land in like a pod ship and step out and be greeted by these star people and or 
these ascended masters who would be in these um, crystal temples uh, performing different mm, activities, but all around enlightenment um, and healing. And I would see like these advanced light chambers that people would get in for healing and even like mm, immersed in water in tanks. Um, yes. And so that started to take place in dream time to where the next day I would have recall of that happening. Um, and then it's more recent here since I moved to Sedona that I have more of a sense of going, uh, being part of like a galactic council of beings, more in a planning or decision-making role. This is fantastic. I love it. Um, okay, so, and just just to get to this, because I just, I can't believe the time. It amazes me. Where where do those that cross the veil, which, which, you know, everyone that listens know how I feel about it. Birth and death are kind of the same thing. Uh, but those that have passed on and in particular, those that we know personally, so that you know personally, what is going on with that process? And have you, have you been able to tap into, say, via dream or active awareness or your psychic awareness uh, when a person's transitioning and they don't know it or have been able to know if, uh, if that has happened? Um, where are you with the whole death thing? And have you been able to tap into other people's transitioning that they may not have known they were transitioning? That kind of thing. What and what also what's going on with the idea of death? So I had um, the experience of my mother-in-law and father-in-law moving in with my husband and I for nine months while his mother was dying of cancer. And she ultimately did pass away in our master bedroom. And on the day that, and this is um, a woman who uh, did not want to hear anything about the possibility of any kind of afterlife. To her, it was lights out, that's it. And she didn't want to hear about any other possibility. And so, you know, it wasn't my place to impose any of my beliefs upon her. So I just let it be. But on the morning that she was passing, my father-in-law came downstairs and said, I think Jenny's passing. And so can you go be with her? So I got to the top of the stairs and kind of went, oh, like I've never been with a dying person before, but of course I'll go do this. And I went in there and her body was laying there and her eyes were wide open and her mouth was open and she was doing this death gurgle. Physically, her body was laying there. She was not home. Her spirit had already gone traveling. And it was apparent to me that her, that her spirit was on the ceiling and moving around the house, going down to find out where her husband was, and even sailing off to go see where her children were. And it, as I sat there with her, I was able 
to vicariously experience what she was experiencing. And I knew that that was the first thing she wanted to do when she left her body in this pre-death state was to, first of all, when she was found herself on the ceiling looking down at her body, sort of this um, shock. <laughs> and I was talking to her as I sat there holding her hand. First of all, I sang Amazing Grace. And then I just started to talk to her. And sometimes she would come back into her body and she would squeeze my hand and I could tell she was back. But I gave her permission to go ahead and travel and do what she needed to do. When her family was then gathered around her, she started saying, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> she just did that for like hours. <laughs> so it was really interesting to experience that when my father was passing, he was still alive physically. And we went to the hospital and we knew he didn't have much longer, but I went home. I took my mom home. And we were sitting there on the bed and all of a sudden the front door blew open. The door to the bedroom opened wide. The dog jumped up and all the hair was up on its back, staring at nothing, standing in the doorway. My mother looked at me with her eyes wide as saucers. And I just said, hi, dad. <laughs> we're okay. We're going to be just fine. Everything is okay. And he died that night. So I certainly believe, and this has been my experience. And even after the next night, he came back and I told him if he came back to flicker lights or let me know that he was okay. And I was sleeping in his bedroom. And um, the next night, the, I went into the bedroom and the lights flickered on and off and on and off and on. I was like, oh, that's a cool trick, Dad. But I have since been able to communicate with my father. He has come through with messages from beyond that were important generationally and even for us right now. Um, so I've been able to communicate with him. So yes, I mean, I believe that, you know, when your body starts to go, um, that you can travel out of your body and ultimately you take your last breath and there you have it. Your spirit is off on its, you know, adventure beyond the physical. And I do believe in the Buddhist and Egyptian and even Tibetan perspective that you go into the state of bardo where you can be surrounded by your spirit family and you can reflect upon the life you just lived and sort of watch a movie of it and see where you learned your lessons and see where you didn't and make a conscious choice to either reincarnate or to stay in the spiritual realm for a while to serve in a different way or maybe to go through more training about how to be in an incarnated body when you say you uh, communicate with your father, how does that come through now? Is it is it through dreams or is it through uh, meditation? Do you how does that how does that happen? Well, sometimes he'll just wake me up in the middle of the night, and <laughs> it'll be three in the morning, and he shakes me. It's almost as if his hands are on my shoulder, and he's waking me up. And he called me Susie. And he's like, Susie, 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 wake up. And, you know, I have to go to my meditation space, my shrine space and sit there and he'll come through. 
there was a time when there was some conflict in the family and he woke me up in the middle of the night and he said, you go sit down in your shrine space and we're going to work through this. Mm -hmm. And he even bought in his father who he had reconnected with on the other side and his father. So Mm -hmm. it was like this multi-generational issue that needed to be resolved all the way back and forgiven completely before what was unfolding in the here and now could be resolved and cleared. And magically, when I was able to resolve it for them and completely forgive them on the other side, the issue here just dissolved like magic. Wow. That's, uh, I love hearing this. And I love that this actually happened while you were in this kind of conscious state and that you would, that it would wake you up, that he woke you up and that you moved into, into this space to consciously, which to me is complete lucidity, uh, to have this interaction and that it did heal some family wounds from the past to move forward. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's it. You know, the, the death thing is hard for some people to talk about and, uh, and other people's are fine. Other people are fine. I'm so comfortable with it. it there's been so much around me, but it, it's, it's always reaffirming to hear, uh, these, these great, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm refreshed by your perspective, Suzanne. I, it was really, it's really been refreshing to hear how your percep- perception of all this shines through. And I really think that so much of it goes back to how open your parents were as when you were a child. Of course, it's a shining example of who you are, but I do think some of this was your early, as you know, programming you know your models your role models and it's just wonderful that that openness leads to who you are now and what you're doing moving forward which is a lot bringing a lot of hope especially in times that when one looks out they they could appear you know times it can appear very desperate and dark at this moment um i'm wondering did Jerry, did you get any questions? Uh, no. Oh, um, have you heard about illness being hooked to past lives? Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, it's one of the sessions that I offer either online or in person. And we are able to move into a higher consciousness state where my client themselves actually tells me what past life is coming through for them. And many times it is trauma from these past lives, whether it's physical or emotional, that has led them to be experiencing exactly the physical or emotional ailments that they are in this lifetime. And when we are able to go back. Yes. Yeah. Able to go back. I'm sorry to interrupt you. 
Oh, that's okay, dear. Okay, Interrupt any time, of course. It's it's your show. <laughs> but um, when we're able to go back and actually rewrite the script so that it happens in a different way that is not traumatic, we actually change the past to affect the future. So in a it almost more sounds like the way. QTTH uh, modality. Mm-hmm. Quantum mm-hmm. something something healing. The Dolores Cannon stuff. Yeah. No, did she do that? Yeah, I thought she was. I swear. I guess that's something to Maybe. look up. My Dolores Cannon knowledge was very small. All right, I got another yeah. question. Oh, if cool. a person feels stuck with a good way to get unstuck when finances are an issue. So can't get consultation, just ask the spirits. Not really cool. If a person stuck, what is, is it? Oh, what is a good way to get unstuck? Okay. If if they're broke. Just ask the spirits. Question. I mean, again, right, like um probably something to do with the past life and you know doing some type of peering into past lives that are creating a lack of abundance or flow so it really has more to do with flow and this person asking is clearly aware of that because they are aware that they're you know they're they're stuck and so the energy isn't flowing and so it is being blocked by some sort of um, emotional uh, trauma, probably possibly from this life. And when I say trauma, it doesn't have to be, you know, something very traumatic, but possibly something from childhood, a lack of um, belief in their ability to um, be showered with abundance or to create abundance. Um, sometimes it comes down to uh, feeling a lack of worthiness, um, maybe not feeling worthy enough to attract that abundance. Um, but again, oftentimes it goes back to either earlier in life, maybe something in childhood, something they were told time and again um, that they're still holding on to and haven't been able to let go of. But if we can look at that movie and identify that again we can let them go of it whether it was maybe earlier in this life or it was in a past life all right that's all the questions we have in chat i had one but i forgot what it was now damn it <laughs> <laughs> Oh, um, <clears throat> so uh, of all the entities that you've contacted or been in contact with, do you feel that they're physically in our dimension, if you will, or our timeline, or are they in alternate adjacent? I like to think of dimensions. Because after my missing time experience, what I was really shown is that in a sense, 
these dimensions are somewhat stacked with, if you will, like 3D being the lowest density of incarnation, then going up. And as it goes up, it gets wider and wider and wider so that 4D can interact with 3D and 5D can most certainly interact with 4D and 3D because what happens is it's an expansion of consciousness. And so while 3D cannot necessarily see beyond the spectrum of 3D, as you go higher up in the dimensions, those higher dimensional beings sort of become, it becomes like one mind. And many 5D and 6D beings will say that they can read our minds. And it's not an intrusion. It's just that they have become part of the bigger mind that envelops everything in the dimensions they're in and below them. And so I think these dimensions that I am able to, these beings I am able to interact with are coming through other dimensions and that being higher dimensional beings, it's very difficult for them to lower their vibrational frequency enough to actually materialize physically in this low density dimension. Mm. So they come through more as uh, telepathically and through channeling. I've always thought of pictured, if you will, the third dimension as a projection of the fourth dimension or a shadow of like the energy that's projected from 4D manifests here as physicality. But that's just the way I have it in my head. Doesn't mean it's right. The astral realm being 4D, as many believe, um, is an interesting place. <laughs> Especially the lower lower fourth dimension, apparently, is a party, party town over there. I mean, I do believe it's the realm of angels and demons, and I believe it's the realm of choice. Mm-hmm. And it's where the being transitions into to make that choice. You know, you, would you like to continue to work through the shadows? And there's no judgment about that whatsoever. It simply means they are not done learning the important lessons that can only be learned in a reality of duality and working in the shadows. Or are you done learning through separation and suffering and you are ready to choose to serve the light selflessly and ascend and now learn through unity? and peace and health and vitality and harmony you know are you ready to ascend beyond the fourth dimension and into a higher fifth dimensional experience and i believe that we can ascend in our consciousness right here and now and stay in our physical bodies and interact in the 3d realm but start to create realities around us that are certainly not your standard 3D realities. We can blow the lid off this 3D false matrix and expand beyond it to see the truth of who we are as eternal, infinite, and immortal beings capable of... (laughs) Go ahead. No, we just need that hundredth monkey. (laughs) Yes. The tipping tipping point. point. Yeah, exactly. 
Right. <laughs> well, I don't have any more questions. Um, I mean, right? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. And that is one perspective, although I do waver back and forth to think that, you know, yes, the hundredth monkey, and then maybe we activate the matrix for global ascension and all of us go into the higher dimensional reality that we create here on this earth plane. However, I also am curious about the possibility that some just aren't ready to ascend. They just got here, not but a few <laughs> lifetimes ago, and they aren't done with 3D yet. And um, they certainly aren't ready to ascend. And if you look around, you can certainly see there are people who are just enjoying the 3D drama. And this is where they want to stay and be for a while. And so they, you know, can stay in this 3D reality and maybe the spirit of Mother Earth ascends and we go with her as the ones who have chosen ascension. Right. Mm. Right. True. True. Yeah, and all the other planets too. Yeah. With the, the sentience of these celestial bodies, especially Earth that we inhabited. This it's all going to happen on the equinox in December. <laughs> the great conjunction it, it, anything's right. possible if we get our we feed it we're right get that purple flash and the event's <laughs> gonna happen you know we're gonna all go to 5d <laughs> anyway and it's happening it's happening it's happening because i used to think when is it gonna happen my god you know this ascension is <laughs> gonna happen or what and it's like it's happening it's happening it's happening i mean i look around in my own life you know, right. my God, you know, it's like the reality I've created for myself is so incredibly beautiful and expansive and sparkling with golden light. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, the sometimes event, I wake up my good fortune, you yeah. know, right? So it's, it's an inside job. It's what it's, you know, it's personal. Yes. It's not a group thing. Yes, definitely. This has been this has been so as I said it's been refreshing and uh, it's really nice to bring bring someone on that is emanating this energy out as a beacon so thank you so much Suzanne yes thank you did you uh, have anything you wanted to plug <laughs> um, sure. I am the designer of a television network called SciSpy.tv, S-C-I-S-P-I.tv, merging science and spirituality in a new genre that came to me in meditation, SciSpy. So I invite your listeners to visit S-C-I-S-P-I.tv. We now have over seven channels and 30 shows. And also my personal website is SuzanneRossWellness.com. I do live here in Sedona, Arizona, and we have a spectacular spring equinox retreat coming up on March 20th through 22nd. And you can find that at SedonaAscensionRetreats.com. I also have a big event coming up in April 10 through 12 with stars of ancient aliens coming to visit here in Sedona. And we'll be going to key portal sites here in Sedona. Both events involve tours out in the Red Rocks. For that event in April, you can just go to beyondthematrix.tv and you can join me on Transcend the Matrix on Truth Frequency Radio every Tuesday and Thursday night at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time.
Right. Fantastic. If Giorgio is one of the Thank people uh, coming to your retreat, tell him to read my email. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've invited him a few times to be on the show. Uh... Right. Yes, well, we have Andrew Collins coming and David Childress lives right down the street from me, as uh, does Clifford Mahoudi. And Laura Eisenhower will be coming. Maria Wheatley is coming. Like Brad Olson, Brooks Agnew. Yeah, beyondthematrix.tv. And I love David mm -hmm. Childress, too. I, I'm yeah, meaning Childress to is write awesome. to him. I want him Maria Wheatley on wife, so bad, people. too. I Maria's I, awesome. I, got, I can write to her. Yeah. I'm I'm behind in my inviting. Anyway. Well, come thanks. on out to Sedona for the event. Set up a booth. Do your show live from our <laughs> event. When is it again? April 10th. April, April 10th through 12th. And you can just go to beyondthematrix.tv. Check it all out. I'll write that down. Excellent. Sweet. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show it's been awesome talking to you fantastic conversation and thank you nish and thank you everyone who listened listening listens in the future and in the past quantum show you know <laughs> wherever you are where whenever you are right. wherever you are where, where, what is it how is this saying wherever you go there you are right? yes yeah. thank you everyone thank very you. good thank you guys sure, yeah thanks. it's been really fun Yep. And, it's been uh, a pleasure, definitely. Be sure to tune in next week. I think we have an obelisk. Is it already? No, I'm wrong. Next week we have Mark Anthony Wyatt from Cornwall. Oh, Ghost excellent. Guy. Yeah, it's probably going to be an early show, like 5 p.m. So Eastern. So I will post it as soon as I hear back from him. I don't think he wants to stay up till 2 a.m. because he's in Cornwall. <laughs> I love Cornwall. <laughs> All, All right. right. Everyone, have a great night. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>